Also, today is the yard site of my great-grandfather. His name was David Melech Ben Yisrael. David Flom from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, when he would get an aliyah, they'd say, what's your name? He'd say, David Melech Ben Yisrael. And they'd laugh and say, well, really, what's your name? And he'd go, David Melech Ben Yisrael. And they would laugh and say, we want to give you an aliyah. What's your name? He'd say, David Melech Ben Yisrael. At which point, they'd call up, Yamo, David Melech Ben Yisrael. He'd walk up beaming because he loved his name. He was a wonderful man who I had the privilege and honor of knowing, especially at the end of his life when he moved in with my grandparents. He was a doctor for over 60 years. Wow. He graduated medical school. Pretty much the next day he enlisted, shipped off to the uh, Pacific Theater, was there for three years. He didn't have WhatsApp to write home every night, but I believe he did write home every night. And then we came back, he hung out a shingle on Ward Street in, P- in Pittsburgh, where it hung until he never retired. He moved in with my grandparents, and still, he said, I'm not retired, I'm going to go back. G-P. And that was at the age of, GP, at the age of 90. Squirrel Hill? Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania. Texture, Pennsylvania. Uh, very good. Do you, you know him? No, I'll tell you a story about him. This was after the recording. So, and the sheer should be an aliyah for his neshama. Okay. As I stated, what we're going to do today is different, and that is we're going to, the starting point we're going to do is actually the halacha, and for the Rambam, being a good brisker, it's always the Rambam. For the rub, it's always the Rambam. The question we're going to ask is as follows. The halacha of Hanukkah, there is a very unique facet to it that does not exist elsewhere in halacha, and that is what is the obligation of the menorah? What is the actual obligation? It's to light, the Gemara says, ner ish ubeisel. That is, that it means to light one light per house. One light per house. Not a menorah, not one light each night going upwards or going downwards. One light per house, which means by the end of eight nights of Hanukkah, you've lit eight lights. And that's it. Not, you have 30 children. I just saw there was a woman in Israel who passed away. She left 2,000 descendants. Apparently, when the printers in Israel would write, would do the, uh, in, in Meish Arm, would write um, wedding invitations. They'd say, with the name Esther or not Esther as a grandparent. That was their assumption. She would be on there. But, so in her house, did she have 2,000 menorahs? Well, according to the strict letter of the law, it's one light per house. Now, there's an interesting discussion. Does that mean it's the obligation is on the person or is it on the house? Not going to get into that. Comes along the Gemara, and the Gemara is the first year sources. It says, Taner Rabbanan Mitzvah Hanukkah, Ner Ish Ubeso. The Hamahadran, one who wants to be Mahadr, Mahadr means to enhance the mitzvah, Ner Lekol Echad Echad, lights one candle for each and every person in the house. Okay, so now what you have is you have four members of the house, you have four candles each night. You have 2,000 members of your house, you have 2,000 candles each night, and the fire department at your front door. The Mahadran, Mina Mahadran, the Gemara goes on to say that if that's not enough for you, you want to be extra, you want to be extra uh, observant here, you want to be extra meticulous, that's what we translate here, but I think Mahadran really means, Mahader means to enhance. Beishame Omrim, Yom Rishon Madlik Shmona, the first night light eight, Mikan the Elas Pachas Vaholich, each day then you write, you, you, uh, you light one less, so you start with eight and at, you're counting downwards. Ubisil Omrim, which is our practice, Yom Rishon Madlik Achas, Mikan the Elech, Moses Vaholich, you count upwards. So what you have here is a very fascinating discussion that according to the strict letter of the law, one light suffices for each night. 
comes along the Gemara, it's like, ah, you want to make it, you want to enhance it, one per house? You want to even do better than that? So then there's a bit of debate how to read this. Is it you're going to do one per member of the house and, and then each night enhance it or just write, or just one menorah per house each night enhance, uh, enhance it by having eight? So the difference between those two, again, not to be too technical and to lose everyone, is one way to look at it is, again, middle cheetah is you light one per person of the house. The next one is you write light. Each person gets to light one, and then it, it, it goes up. So if you have 10 people in the house, first night you have 10 lights, the next night you'll have 20, 30, 40. Or is it no, it's saying that the first night you have one, the next day you have two, the next day you have three, irregardless of how many members are of the house. Two different ways of looking at it. Okay, that's a little technical. But the question is as follows. Where else do we find this concept where we're saying, yeah, there's multiple levels to perform and fulfill a mitzvah obligation? So Lul of Nesra, we use the concept of Hidr to find a more beautiful Esrog. The question is, is this, is this related? or this, is, this almost seems totally different. It's not find a, a menorah and make it a little nicer. An Esrog, that counts that Ellie's mentioning, is to find a, a beautiful Esrog. So you can have one with blemishes and less blemishes. This is not that. This is, you're adding on a whole new aspect to it. In fact, there are those who argue there's no relation between the concept of Mahajim and Mahajim and the initial lighting. What? So you're, you're touching on that concept of a concept called Chumrah in terms of their stringencies because there could be debate. We want to get out of it. But what here is almost like an entire institution that's totally different. In fact, some want to say the difference between, let's say, a Ner Ishubeso is one's obligation that each house should have versus the next obligation that each person in the house should have. Which would imply, by the way, if you don't have a house, maybe you still should light if you want to be Mahajran. Because, again, it's about each person in the house. Well, there's also the question of Lula of Nesrog. Should every person have? Can you have one? Typically, back then, it used to be one person. No, that's just that, that was out of necessity and the fact that they just didn't have access to it. Everyone needed to shake the Lulav. It wasn't like the rabbit shook for everyone. It's just they didn't have. You know, that, that, that's the famous story they, they quote from someone. They were talking about the, 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 the Kamara that talked about an Esrog Akushi, a brown Esrog. And someone said, I, I forgot who it was, a survivor told someone, I know, you don't understand, I was the youngest member of my town, and we were the last town on the route of the Esrog. There's one Esrog in the entire, not just village, but the entire Providence. He goes, the time I got the Esrog, it was browner than brown, it was the most beautiful Esrog I ever had. That's what, that's what it is. So the question again is, where's the time to Mahajim and Mahajim? We're literally, we're institu- it's a new institution. It's not make it more beautiful. It's not, again, the concept that Elliot's mentioning is called Hidr Mitzvah, which this could be an extension of that. It very well be. That the Torah says, not just do mitzvahs, but do it in the most beautiful way. We say in, in Oz Yashir, Zek Van Veyu, this is my God, I will glorify him. So don't just have a safer Torah, have a beautiful safer Torah. Have Harry Elias come and take, make, uh, and, and uh, dip the uh, crown for the safer Torah so it looks gorgeous for everyone. Yes, that's definitely a concept. So maybe this is what it is. Maybe you're right. Maybe this is just an extension of that. And not only have one light, have eight lights. Have 15 lights, have 2,000 lights. At the end of Hanukkah, have, you could do the math. So that we're not going to get into because that, 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 I have no idea where that comes from. Okay. But, um, yeah, but it's... So that's, that's... Okay, okay, fine, correct, correct. Okay, this is a Durabadan, but okay, fine. The question, again, the question I want uh, uh, just to say one last time is, where in the world do we have this concept? Where did it come from? This Mahadrin Minha Mahadrin. Mahadrin. That we're, again, it's, we're, not, we're not just like 
making it a little more beautiful. We're having a nice cover for the Sefer Torah. We're having extra nice cursive in the Sefer Torah. But we're actually adding on a whole new, more lights. More, a whole lot of menorah. Instead of houses, now you have ten menorahs. What's going on here? So that's the question that we want that 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 that, that Ray Salvechik opens up and wants to talk about. Before we get to Ray Salvechik, I want to discuss an approach of his grandfather. Actually, his great grandfather. His name is Yosef Do Salvechik, otherwise known as Beis Halevi. So what he wants to say is as follows: the reason why it's not, as Elliot was saying, an outgrowth of Hidur Mitzvah. Right, one way to say it's an outgrowth that every mitzvah should be beautiful. Here's another way to make it beautiful, have more light. But he says as follows. It's a specific outgrowth of the Kata of Hanukkah. Because what is Hanukkah about? What did the, the Yavanim, the Greeks, want to do? Which, by the way, right, Salvatric points out elsewhere. Maybe we'll discuss next week. I don't think we're enough time to get to it today. We definitely won't have time to get to it today. What did the Greeks want to do to us? They didn't just want to... They didn't, they didn't come along and, and tell us they're going to kill us. But they wanted to uh, attenuate, if you will, and fight against the fact that we are religious practices. More than that, this is what actually spoke about, I believe, in the Drusha last year. The whole miracle of, 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 of the Pach Shemin, of, of the oil, was actually seemingly not even needed. Why? Because there's a con- Why? What, what was the story? What was the miracle? We only found one jug of oil. The rest of them were impure. However, however, there's a concept called Tumma that if everyone is impure, so then we disregard the concept of purity, to some extent. So Rabbi Michael Rosenzweig points that as well, so then why do we need the whole miracle? If everyone's impure, so then we could have used impure oil. And he says as follows, and this is based on the Beit HaLevi, that if the entire point of the Greeks was coming to say to us, don't practice your religious life, was coming to fight against religious life, so yes, we could have got by and with the relying on leniencies. We could have got by and say, you know what? We'll find a way to just, just to fulfill our obligations. But the way in which we show God and we show the Greeks and show the world, we're going to go beyond just our obligation. And we're not going to just look up for leniencies. We're going to be aspirational and ambitious. Is to precisely do that. To be aspirational, to be ambitious, to be behind there. Because what's, what it ultimately is Hidr Mitzvah? It's that the obligation is to have a Torah scroll, but we then say we want to make it more beautiful. The obligation is to have a uh, esrog. We're going to add ourselves and make it more beautiful. The obligation is to have one candle, but we ourselves are going to go and make it more beautiful and enhance it. And we're going to say, show it's not just about the obligation itself. It's not just Greeks. You wanted to do X, Y, or Z, so we're going to celebrate. But we're going to totally not only disregard but undermine your point and say we love this religion and we're going to personalize it and make it beautiful for ourselves. Which is where the concept of Mahajan Minim Mahajan comes from. Why we're adding on. And the other areas, we don't necessarily have it to this extent. Because the other areas, okay, it's a mitzvah. Here, we're trying to show the Greeks, you want to come after our religious life, we're going to now show you how much it means to us that we're going to personalize it. So that's what the Beit Levi says. Any thoughts on that? How could you then say, okay, I'm going to light 10 menorahs? Or like I think everything was in limit. Everything was in limit. Yes, for sure. But well, well, I'm going to get to that one minute. That, that, the Salvagic starts to touch on that as well. So that's, again, that, that's a discussion. That's a discussion. So it comes along Rabbi Salvagic and he says as follows. This is, he says as follows. If you look in the, the, the Rambam, the Rambam in Hilchos Hanukkah, it's Hanukkah, it all comes together. He said there are a lot of very fascinating halachos that emerge just from the first three halachos, and the answer to our question of where this idea of Mahajim and Mahajim came from will emerge from our Rambam. So what I want to do now is together is read the Rambam with you, 
and then we're going to come to an answer of this idea of why we have mahajrin bin mahajrin when it doesn't exist in other areas of halacha. Does that make sense? Does that work? Any questions, comments, thoughts? Okay, so look at the Rambam, Hilchah Hanukkah. The Bayi Shani says the Rambam, during the time of the Second Temple period, when the people of Yavon, the Greeks, instituted decrees, proclamated decrees against the Jewish people, and they nullified their faith, refusing them to engage in Torah and mitzvot. By the way, the language of the Rambam is not Lilmo Torah, to learn Torah, not Lalami uh, Torah, to teach Torah, but rather La'asok Torah, to engage in Torah. It implies a much deeper engagement. They really came after the root of it. The root of it. And they extend their hand against our property and their daughters and enter the sanctuary. The Rabbi Salvechi points out as well that this is a echoes from the parsha, Uvnosehem, and the daughters, well, that they're, um, the, uh, what's it called? That was last week's parsha, that whenever the non-Jews came after our daughters, which is the, the, most, the, most, the most sacred thing, the sexual ethic, and they came and violated that, that that's, that's why the Rambam particularly and specifically points it out here. And they, again, they, they, came, they broke havoc and came into our sacred places. Again, going to history, basically, we cried out. God came to save us. The Hashmanayim, the Hasmoneans, they were the high priests. Why did they specify they were the high priests? I think it's interesting, then maybe we can touch on more soon. But also to note that it wasn't just they were the you know the Maccabees, you know the warriors, but they also were the priests who uh, who were in, involved intimately involved in the runnings of the temple. They were the spiritual leaders as well. Sometimes you you find that you know the Maccabees, they're the they're the the, um, the sports teams. That's how we like to think of them. We remember them, but they also were the spiritual leaders as well. And they came and they reinstituted, they reinstituted the Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel that lasted for over 200 years until the destruction of the Second Temple, although, as we know, it quickly devolved. And the Hasmonean dynasty is not a happy time, necessarily. Although we had, self, we had self-rule, there was a lot of infighting, and ultimately the, the entire Hasmonean dynasty was totally wiped out. Um, So I don't want to. I, I purposely did not bring that up because you're quoting the Ramban. The Ramban probably disagrees. That's just why he hasn't mentioned it here. I need to see the Ram and the Hilchas Malachim. But um, the Hasmoneans as well. I think it's also quite interesting when we, we think about the infighting in, in Kali Israel nowadays and all everything that's going on. I don't know. Just to put one political thing. Yesterday there was a the woman of the wall said one thing and everyone else said oh it's how terrible. The Whatever your thoughts are on that, which we're not going to get into. Let's put it this way. The infighting and the selling out and the killing of brothers that was taking place back then was a lot worse. Let's just remember that before we uh, escalate our own personal and current conflicts, whatever we have. Fine. Then what happened, so that's the history. When the Jewish people overcame their enemies, and they destroyed them on the 25th day of Kislev, they enter into the Heichal, into the sanctuary. They only find one little tiny jug of oil. It was only one day it was able to be a light. And it could stay a light for eight days. 
By the way, the Beis Halevi says in this as well, and this is where his point comes from, I'm glad to mention this. They could have actually, he says, taken this little pachshemen and poured a little bit of oil into the light each day, and it would have lasted eight days. Meaning, just ration. The way, anytime you're in a situation where you need to ration, you could have rationed it. So why didn't they do so? Why did they pour it all in day one? What were they thinking? Why did they rely on the miracle? Says the Beis Halevi, says precisely this point as well, that they said that if the if the Yivanim, the Greeks are coming after us religiously, we're not going to capitulate and, and change exactly. We're going to be, still be just as spiritually ambitious as we, always, we, as we believe we should be, and we're going to pour all the oil in. This is the question, this is the question, the base Yosef, and there's, and there's a hundred answers, and there's a book of a hundred answers. A couple of thoughts on that. One is, I had a Reverend Blachman who once said, anytime you have a question with a hundred answers, that means you don't have a question. But um, there are a lot of answers to that, and it will touch upon that. Okay. And let's do the last halacha, and then we'll get into, go back into the Reisalvechik. And because of all of this, because of the terrible decrees, and the fact that we survived, and not just we survived, but after, notice he's saying, and then the miracle of the oil, they, they established it should be days of simcha, of joy, the halal and praise, and we kindle the lights, the Arab in the evening, at the doors of our houses, each and every night, meaning each and every night's own obligation. And this is the way we, we um, publicize the great miracle. The Yom And these days are called Hanukkah. The one is not allowed to give a hesped in a eulogy. One doesn't fast thirty days. Can make Purim just like Purim. And the fact that we kindle the light that's a mitzvah from the divrei sofrim from the sages. just like the recitation of the Megillah. By the way, interesting there he's paralleling the Hanukkah to Megillah. That is all the Rambam. So says Rabbi Salavim. Why in the world would the Rambam, who is strictly a halachic book, open up with this historical discussion about what is the background to Hanukkah? It's cool, it's nice, we like it, but it's not the way of the Rambam. He says if you look in Hilchas Pesach, that's not how he begins the laws of Pesach. In fact, if you look at Hilchas Megillah, he just paralleled it. How does he start the laws of Megillah? Not, it was in the days of Mordechai and Esther, and there was an evil man, Haman, who got up. No. This is how we begin, as atop the litvak as you can be. Ready for this? Imagine sitting down in the classroom and the, and the rabbi getting up there and saying, "Let's talk about Megillah." There's an obligation to read the Megillah. Done. And it's clear, everyone knows this is this comes from the the prophets. So everyone has to read it, both men and women, and and converts and slaves, etc., etc. There's no preface, there's no introduction, there's no nice story. We're, 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 there's no, you know, as a rabbi always does, when I give a sermon, I have a hook. What's a hook? I open with a joke, I open with some interest, something interesting to grab attention. Which is what the rabbi seems to do in Hilkos Hanukkah. In Hilkos Megillah and everywhere else, he's not interested in hook. He's kind of saying, you open this book, you're getting what I give you. You don't like it, close the book, and you're going to miss out on the greatest book I've written. But, you know, you're not going to, other than the Bible, of course. But, um... So what, what's with the historical background here? Why would he start with the, this, the background to it? And he says as follows. 
I, he gives two answers. Answer number one is a little bit more, um, a little bit more not technical, but more has to do with the, the style of Mishnah Torah. He says, answer number one is why would out of the only place where the Rambam get background be the laws of Hanukkah? So he says as follows: If you look in the introduction to Mishnah Torah, when the Rambam introduces this book, his magnum opus, this fourteen books, the Yad Chazaka, these fourteen books of Halacha, the Rambam writes as follows. Now that I have gone through all of the Talmud and all of the other works and have compiled it all into this work called Mishnah Torah, so now all you need in your library is a Bible, Tanakh, and a Mishnah Torah, and you're good because it's all here. That's what the Rambam says. Now you can imagine he took a lot of flack for that because as great as he was, people were not happy. In fact, Professor Isidore Tversky, in his introduction to his magnum opus, which is a, an introduction to the Code of Maimonides, so in the introduction to the, introdu- to the introduction, he records letters around and starts defending. He's like, I never actually said that. That's not what I meant. You're taking it out of context. All I was trying to say is that because people don't have the time, so all, in the event you don't have the time, so then all you need is the Mishnah Torah and the Bible and the Tanakh. But obviously, you know, I just gave a shear on, 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 the, on, on the Gemara this week, and of course I care about the Gemara, etc., etc., etc. However, the Ram does say that's all you need. So Sarbite Salih says as follows. Unlike every other holiday, where would you find Hilchas? Where, where's, where, how do we know about Pesach? The story of Pesach? The Bible. So then, therefore, I read the Bible, and as Ramam told me to, so now when I open up the uh, Hilchas Matomar, Pesach Matomar, so I already know the story, I know the background, so now I can jump right into the Halachas. Same with the Megillah. How do I know the Megillah the story? How do I know the story of Purim? I have the Megillah, which is the, it's a canonized work. It's found in the Tanakh. One of the later works, which is why, by the way, it's not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Because when they already went to hide in the Dead Sea Caves, they, it, was, it had not been canonized yet. However, however, the Hanukkah, that was never part of Torah Shabbat Peh. That was never, that the, book of, the book of Maccabees was written, but it did not become part of the Tanakh. And therefore, you're not going to know the background, so it says Salvechik, for that reason that Rabban felt a need and the necessity to give you the history in Mishnah Torah. So that's a more of a technical answer, very interesting. But then the Rabbi Salvechik gives a second answer. And listen to what he says. And this dovetails on what we said on Thanksgiving. He says as follows. What's the best way to start with this? Let's start with another Rambam. The Rambam says as follows. Mitzvah ner Hanukkah, mitzvah chaviva hu ma'od. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is a very precious mitzvah. Which we asked then as well, why is it so precious? I mean, of course it's precious. All mitzvahs are precious. Why is this more precious than everything else? So says Rabbi Salvechik. You see, because the reason why, the reason why the story of Hanukkah was recorded in Mishnah Torah is because it's not that a story occurred, and therefore that engenders an obligation of Hanukkah, but actually the story itself is part of the obligation of Hanukkah. That is to say that when we light the menorah, that is the way in which we retell the story, almost analogous to Pesach sitting around at the Seder Seder night. Because ultimately, and this is what we talk about on Thanksgiving, lighting the candles is not just, oh, there's a mitzvah called candle lights, but we light the candles as an expression of gratitude to Hashem for the great nace. And using, again, these more technical terms, says Rabbi Salavechik, the maisa, the action we do, is lighting the candles. But the reason we do that action is to engender within ourselves a feeling of hoda, of gratitude and of thanks. And says Rabbi Salavechik, if you, 
The ultimate, the way in which you fill the mitzvah of candle lighting is not just by lighting it, but it's by feeling the thanks. How do you feel the thanks? Well, you have to do some, you have to make some sort of concrete action to, to, ground, to ground it, and that's going to be the lighting of the candles. And he, he makes this analogy. He says, the same way on Pesach night. Ultimately, it's about feeling free. How do you feel free? I tell you, feel free. I don't feel free. So we say, you sit down, and you have a nice meal, and you talk about the story, and through that, you see as it yourself as if you're leaving with trying. It's only through the fact that you sit there at the night, you're sitting around together, and you're experiencing the freedom through the retelling of the story, and eating the food, and tasting the bitter herb, then you can actually feel in, in, internally the sense of freedom. Hanukkah is no different. Says the Salvation, the entire point of the candles is not just to light, but it's to feel a sense of gratitude. In fact, Rabbi Shlomo Orbach says in a tshuva that if someone doesn't feel that, he says that his words are, you're, you're missing the ikker. I don't know if I put this in the, in the sources. You're missing the ikker. You're missing the main part. The main part. The main part is to feel the sense of hollow. And we discussed then as well, we discussed then as well, which um, I don't want to, you can listen to the recording if you want to go online. Uh, it's, on, it's on the podcast. We discussed then as well that if you, if you look in the, the, the Gemara, the Gemara doesn't, ne, never mentions the, in, uh, my Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? The Gemara never mentions. What's Hanukkah? It talks about the miracle. It never mentions the obligation to light candles. It mentions the obligation to thank Hashem. Seemingly to say as well, that say, thanking Hashem is synonymous with kindling the lights. It's one and the same. It's one and the same. And therefore, says Rabbi Salavachin, the reason why the Raman goes out of his way to mention the history, the background, is because it's so integral and important to, as part of the mitzvah. And he says, he says this further as well. This is very interesting. We mentioned it was Machlokas Bishama Bithila of if you're doing Mahajim and Mahajim, right? You're doing what we do. You're lighting one for each night. Are you counting upwards or counting downwards? Counting up one for each night, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or downwards, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. He thinks it's also contingent upon the same debate or the same idea of, of Hodah, of thanking God. He says as follows. This is found in the Masora Journal. Masora Journal is a journal put out by the Orthodox Union. Half of it is comprised of interesting ideas and Kashras, OU, and the other. The first half is, is uh, ideas that people, mainly Rav Schechter, heard from Rabbi Salavechik. And he says that what Beisham and Beisil are, are really arguing about is not, is not counting one to eight or eight to one. But rather they're arguing about what was the miracle that we're thanking God for. For Beis Hillel, he says, the miracle is that each night, each night, there was the, 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 the candle, the, the light, the fire lasted longer. So each night, the greater miracle, we're going to count, we're going to symbolize the greater miracle by having more lights to symbolize there's more to be thankful for. Whereas Beishamai, very interestingly, looks at it very differently. He says, we're thanking God that the tsara, the, the peril, the calamity, is disappearing. And each night, he says, it gets a little less. Why? Because what was eight nights? Eight nights was the amount of time it took to make new oil. So one night, it's like, oh, no, there's still seven nights. We might, we might not have been able to light for seven nights. Now it's lit for, lit for two nights. Oh, so now at least we had two nights, but the six more nights we're not going to be able to light for. Six nights, five, so each, each day it actually got less. The, 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 the calamity got less. As the miracle increased, the calamity got less. So there's less in a way to, to be grateful for because, again, there's less of a calamity. There's another way of thinking about it, but the idea, and I'm not, I don't want to get involved too much in their, that debate there, but I think, again, where Salvation is saying is even based on the their great debate hints upon gratitude. 
Because ultimately, Ner Hanukkah, lighting the candles, is about gratitude. Hanerus Halalu, these candles, is about gratitude. In fact, I wasn't going to say this now. We, one of the, the um, we have a concept, there's a shamish. What's a shamish? We, have, we don't have eight lights, we have nine. What's a shamish? So Rashi says, it's to, it's to show that there's something different about the candles. It's to make it that, that okay, nowadays we have, we have uh, light bulbs. But if you live in a house we have, we, where, every, where every light in the house was candles, so you, someone might say, oh, that candelabra, it's just another way to have light. But you put the shamish in there, so it, it's, it's there to show that, oh, no, this is for the light so I can read it, and the other eight are there just to look at, to symbolize the miracle. It, in a way, almost it's like what it's trying to, the shamish is doing is it's accentuating the presuminisa, the fact we're trying to publicize this miracle and say there's more to be thankful for. That comes out as well in the Shamish. That also might be why there's a prohibition to utilize the light of the candles. Why can't we utilize the light of the candles? Why can't we use it? It's for it's thanking God, so it's not to be used for routine things. It's symbolic of praising, thanking God for miracles. Correct, exactly. So that's interesting. There is a bit of debate if you can use it for mitzvah purposes. Some say you're allowed to use it for mitzvah purposes. Why? Because at the end of it, it's for mitzvah, one mitzvah for another mitzvah. Or, or to learn next to there's those who argue that, but they're probably then not looking at it as, as the candles in the same light of that it's there to be, to enhance the miracle and, and and to showcase the miracle more. If so you want, you use the shaman's light to light all the other yes. candles. Yes. Because you can't just light the candles. Correct, but that's there, there, so there's a debate about that. We pass and we 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 say you can't. But there is a debate. There are those who say you're allowed to use the candles, even though we say there is a little code of shade. These are sanctified holy lights. You're not supposed to use them. That's what we say. Right. Which, but there are those who say you're actually allowed to for a purpose because for, they probably don't look at it the same way. But if you say you can't even use it for a purpose, why not? A mitzvah, mitzvah, and the answer would be because, again, the more that we say it's separate, we're trying to say it's separate. It's there just to show there was a great miracle that took place. In fact, even the retail, Haneris Halalu Kodeshim, we go to the whole story in Haneris Halalu. Why do we do that? Because perhaps what we're doing is we're proclaiming. And that, this could be actually integral to the lighting is to say this, this paragraph of and sing Hanerah Halalu because what we're, we're saying and we were saved and we actually say out loud what happened to us how we were saved it's part of the retelling of the whole story yeah isn't it the same way it's like when you light the Shabbat candle you have the one lit candle to light all the other candles mm, not sure well, when you write the Shabbos candle, don't you take one light? Yeah, but I don't know if it's for the same reason. Okay, but I, I, let's put, I, I, that was an idea I wanted to throw out there. Okay, fine. So I want to pull this all together. I want to pull it all together. So we, the opening question we had was, where did the idea of Mahadrin Min Mahadrin come from? The idea of Mahadrin Min Mahadrin and Mahadrin, that we enhance the mitzvah beyond just a regular, make things look a little more beautiful. We literally introduced a whole new aspect to it. A whole new manure in the house. Many more candles. So we offered a couple answers, which I don't, we don't have to review right now, from the Rizalaji's grandfather about being ambitious, etc. Then we put a pause in that, we moved over to the Rambam. The Rambam goes through the history. The history of the Hanukkah. We asked, why did he go through the history? We gave one answer, it was a technical answer, because again, the Rambam uh, 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 mentions this idea that if you, as long as you have the Bible, so then you know the, only you need Torah, but there's no, nothing in the Bible about the Hanukkah. However, we went to another answer, and that was the Rambam saying, because part and parcel of the kindling of the lights, or synonymous with the kindling of the lights, is the idea of gratitude. That's what we're symbolizing. That's what we're symbolizing. Says the right salvation, therefore, as follows. And this is, in, and this is going to bring it all together. How much time do we have? As always. Oh, we have more time now. Okay. 
He says the, that when we light the menorah, you know, let's just read it inside because it's, it's so awesome. Lighting the, no, the Hanukkah candles thus requires explanation and interpretation. This is covered by the book Days of Deliverance, which is Essays on Purim and Hanukkah. Mamanis writes on each one of the eight nights candles are lit in the evening at the entrance of the household in order to publicize and give expression to the miracle. Can you see it there? In doing so, he ruled that the fulfillment of the precept of Hanukkah consists in the narration of the story of the miracle. The narration consists of two things simultaneously, a dialogue and a monologue. It is a dialogue since the story is addressed to others. By kindling the candles, one tells the story to all who take notice of the Hanukkah lights. But it is also a monologue. In spite of the fact that one has been acquainted with the events since childhood, by lighting the candles each year, one deepens and widens his knowledge, discovering new aspects and gaining more insights. Each year, one rediscovers the miracle of Hanukkah. Each year, one re-experiences and relives it. Telling in, telling in the Hanukkah is equated with reliving and restaging. Our collective memory is living and creative to remember for Judaism and means to witness the event once more. Again, what's he paralleling here, very clearly? Pesach. So now, and this is, this is going to be the answer to our opening question. This aspect of re-experiencing and restaging the dramatic events is borrowed from Pesach. In every generation, one must look upon himself as if he had gone out of Mitzrayim. Cypriotis Mitzrayim, the retelling of the story of Exodus, is the superstructure of expressing the feeling of gratitude of the obligation that one must be grateful to God. When we complete the narrative, we say, therefore, we are obligated to give thanks. This is an interesting idea. I'll just take one minute to pause this. We have more time than I thought, but you want a tangent. The Hassam Sofer points out that the mitzvah of hollow, the mitzvah of hollow, which is a deraisa obligation, says Hassam Sofer, that when you experience a miracle, you have an obligation, mita oraisa, from the, a biblical obligation to say hollow, says the Hassam Sofer. Says in the Tziv, excuse me. But that's only if you yourself experience it. The Chassam Sofer thinks of if it even happens an ancestor, the Tziv says only if you yourself experience it. The Chassam Sofer says at any time a, a miracle happens, even historically, you have an obligation to Hala, which is why the Chassam Sofer may think that saying Hala on Hanukkah may have a level of Daraisa, even though Hanukkah itself is only rabbinic. And the Tziv says no. If you yourself experience a miracle, you have an obligation to say Hala. If you didn't experience it, then you don't have an obligation to say hollow. This comes into the great debate about saying hollow on Yom HaSmo. Oh. Not a problem. Saying hollow on Yom Anyone hear this debate? Saying hollow on Yom HaSmo with a bracha, without a bracha? So there's a big debate out there. Do you say hollow on Yom HaSmo to commemorate the state of Israel? And oftentimes, unfortunately, this is used as a litmus test for how Zionistic is the rabbi. It's not. Because really, it's a halakha discussion, and it comes down to this machlokas that Hassam Sof and then it says, Did you yourself experience the miracle? Now, anyone who uh, flies halal and somehow gets off first before all the Israelis derives a miracle. Exactly. But that's not the miracle we're talking about. The. Um, the Nitzit says only if you yourself experienced a miracle. If you yourself didn't experience a miracle, then you can't say hollow. So the question is, is how do you say hollow Pesach night? Because the Pesach night hollow that we say at the Seder is a very different hollow than we say, let's say, on Rosh Chodesh or on Yom Tov. That's a hollow we say because the, the, uh, a Yom Tov creates an obligation to say hollow. The hollow we say Pesach night is because we were saved. So says the Nitziv, what do we say? Chai of Adam, each person, Lyrus is Atma, we're supposed to see ourselves, the evil Yatsim in Mitzrayim, as if we left Egypt. Said the Tzivit, you really see yourself as if you left Egypt? Lefichach, therefore! Therefore, because you see yourself as if you left Egypt, Lefichach, Chayv, Lahodos, Lahavu, Shabaya, you have an obligation to say praise. 
because you see yourself as if you actually left Egypt, that creates an obligation for you to say praises as if you actually left Egypt. That's what he says. The mitzvah of Sibur Jesus Ryan says the rug and their Hanukkah, the Hanukkah candles are both of an esoteric nature. And this is what the rabbi he says is just so powerful. He says, Pesach night. We have an obligation to retell the story. To see ourselves as if we left it. And therefore, because we were all different, the way in which we tell the story is going to be different. He says as follows. This is a new read of a, a famous passage we know. There are four different sons of the Seder. Sister by Salvechik. The father teaches each child according to his ability. He says, there's the wise son, the wicked son, the simple son. The child does not know how to ask. The father teaches the child and tells him the story in accordance with the child's capacity. According to the child's capacity. Because that's what it is. We're trying to retell a story. We're trying to relive a story. Depending on what you're capable of, that's how you're going to experience it. If that is true, says the Ritalovitchik, so too the, the analog case of Hanukkah is going to be the same exact way. Hanukkah, the pursuing Nisa, publicizing the miracle of lighting the nearest Hanukkah, is realizable at three levels. Ner Ishu Beso, a single candle for the household, Mahadrin, a candle for each person, and Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin, increasing numbers of candles each night. The more candles one lights, the greater the feeling of gratitude. The fulfillment of Pearson, of publicizing, varies with the individual. The more profound the mind, the more demanding is the halacha. But that was fascinating. What he's saying is that if you really want to feel gratitude, well, that's going to depend on who you are and what you're capable of, and everyone's going to be different. And the reason, therefore, why Hanukkah is so different than every other mitzvah, except now we see Pesach, and the reason we have this institution of Mahajan, and Mahajan, and Mahajan, you can enhance it in a totally different way, is because if it's ultimately, ultimately about feeling gratitude, so then we're all going to experience that differently, and some of us are capable of feeling more gratitude, and some less so. And because of that, Halacha recognizes that. So Halacha says, if you're only capable of feeling a little gratitude, or if that's where you are at this stage in your life, so then light one light. If you're someone who, who can feel a lot more gratitude, or you've worked yourself to have the capability to feel more gratitude, so then you light Mahadrin. If you're someone who's really feeling the full, fully sense of gratitude, so then you really want to feel the profundity of the moment, like Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin. Yes, for sure. For sure. I think in today's world, the idea of lighting menorah in front of public buildings and so forth is a very which is part of the modern world, not part of the rabbi television world. And the show, public, we survive. So I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I wasn't going to discuss this, but we have time today. The, the, uh, it was just, I'll say it now, and then we'll go back to finishing this point, because why not? The, um, the halacha is, when, what, how long does your candle have to be lit for? So the, the Gemara says, Until people are no longer in the marketplace. Who is no longer in the marketplace? So Rashi points out the, the people who are peddling wood. Because generally those are the last people that close the shop. Because that's you know nowadays what's the last thing you need on the pharmacy. You got to run out of the pharmacy. Or then it was the, the, the woodkeepers. You, you ran out of wood. You, you didn't have fire. You get you get cold. Those were not Jewish people. Which is very interesting because it's, Rashi seems to imply, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, one of the greatest of the Rishonim, that the concept of pursuing Nisa, publicizing the miracle, is not towards other Jews, but it's also towards non-Jews. And Rabbi Salvechik writes exactly what normal writes. Maybe normal, either normal read this or Rabbi Salvechik stole it from normal. He says as follows. 
I'm going to read his words. Um, so he, uh, he, says, uh, he says as follows. Okay, he says as follows. It's our way of, of showing to the world that we're here. We survive. You can't, you can't extinguish us. You think you can extinguish us? Hanukkah is that candle lit there to the world to say, we survive and we always will survive. And you know what? I don't know who reads the Wall Street Journal, but I'm sure it was a study that was found elsewhere. There was a, a, yesterday, there was an article about anti-Semitism in college campuses and how the, it's... I believe Harvard, which was rated number one college in the country, was also rated number one college for anti-Semitism in the country, which says something about uh, where the Western world is going, unfortunately. And anti-Semitism is up. But one thing we know, despite all the fears, is the menorah. We're here. We'll survive. And no matter what you do to us, like the, we're putting that candle out there to show the world, just know we are, we are here. But back to, um, back to where we saw the point here that we're making. That's why it goes in the window as well, yes. Then again, you have to do all within reason. Allah also says in the time of persecution, you don't light it in the window. That's that. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to where we should go from here. Okay, you know what? Rather than starting the point, we'll end it. So the Rishabim says as follows. The Rishabim says that the reason why we have this concept of Mahajim and Ahajim, just to quickly recap, because we got sidetracked by Norma, is because unlike other areas, this is about this, 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 this internal feeling of gratitude, and therefore that's going to vary by the person. The same way feeling of freedom is going to vary by the person, so Halakha recognizes that. And therefore, and Halakha creates this tiered system where every individual can tap into what they connect to most. Which, by the way, I want you to see it, it works both ways. How the Rehsalvichik looked at a halacha and pulled out this beautiful idea of gratitude from, but also showed how it's reflected in the halacha. And lastly, this also explains why it's a mitzvah chaviva It's very precious. Because Rehsalvichik says that if you look at Purim, Purim has a very uh, prescripted way of publicizing the miracle. What's that? It's reading the Megillah. Hanukkah doesn't have that. There is no prescripted way to do so. Rather, it's all about, it's all about our, we ourselves coming up with the way to do so. And because it's coming from, personally from within ourselves, again, even then, there has to be, there, there's a limit and there's structure in how it's done. We're given the menorah, we're still given mahajan, mahajan, mahajan. It's not like you do anything you want, but because it's coming from within ourselves and that feeling of gratitude, therefore it becomes chaviva, becomes extra special. So to recap what we did today, and next week I think we'll continue, because there's a, there's a lot more today, you get to see my notes, and a lot more here which I need to get to. We opened up with this question of what's the idea of Mahajim and Mahajim, where did it come from? And the Rathalajic says as follows, that ultimately what Hanukkah is about is not just like the menorah. That's the Misa. That's the action we do, the concrete action, but that's just supposed to anchor the feelings that we're supposed to feel. In a way, almost you can look at it as the lighting of the menorah is supposed to build an interiority within us of gratitude of recognizing where everything comes from, of maybe a feeling of netzach, of that we survived, and why we survived. And that is the ultimate team. That's how we ultimately fulfill the mitzvah. And because each of us are all different, that's going to look different, and therefore the halacha gives us different ways in which we can accomplish that goal. So I wish you all a wonderful Shabbos, a lichtige Hanukkah, as they say now in, 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 uh, in Linden. We see you all Sunday. And uh, looking forward to next week already.